Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. And what do you sacrifice? Calm. Kindness, kinship. Love. I've given up all chance at inner peace. I made my mind a sunless space. I share my dreams with ghosts. I wake up every day to an equation I wrote 15 years ago from which there's only one conclusion. I'm damned for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my, my eagerness to fight. They've set me on a path from which there's no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost, and by the time I looked down, there was no longer any ground beneath my feet. What is my, what is my sacrifice? I'm condemned to use the tools of my enemy to defeat them. I burn my decency for someone else's future. I burn my life to make a sunrise that I know I'll never see. Now the ego that started this fight will never have a, a mirror or an audience or the light of gratitude. So what do I sacrifice? Everything! This week, the story is about the entire prison arc of Andor, uh, the series. Kind of a trilogy, if you will. This is our chance to discuss all three installments in one. We last left Cassian on our last podcast as he was being unjustly arrested and incarcerated by Imperial forces. The story sense has had an uneven pace, which some have said is the best of the best. Others, often still quite bored, although not always. Ross, where do you fall in that spectrum of enjoyment? I don't for, I don't think a ton of people are still bored by it. No, I know. And most people are either not watching it anymore if they were bored by it, or um, have really grown to to thoroughly enjoy the back nine here. And that's that's the case for me. Uh, I, I felt like the first couple episodes were were slow, and even up to episode five, I was just very underwhelmed overall. Uh, and I think the pacing and the direction and the the writing and the intrigue has just been, I don't know, forty percent better. Yeah, in the episodes six through ten, uh, and I I felt like they just got more and more interesting. I absolutely loved this arc. I think this is, uh, I think this was absolutely great. And uh, if you had given me this from the start, there wouldn't have been a, a sniff of doubt in, in, in my mind. Uh, and frankly, uh, it reassures me that it was just a bit of a slow start. And I, I really have complete confidence that um, I'm good with the direction that it's going. And I think it'll only continue to be good. I guess I would say that I agree. It was a slow start, although it had its moments early on and, as I said in the intro, for me, it's not so much that it, it is continually ramping up and improving all the time as it is starting and stopping. It's an uneven pace. And that's why I feel kind of jilted by this show overall. And so like when it really grips me and has my attention, I couldn't be happier. But in other moments, like I want to pull my hair out. I find it so boring. And that happened as recently as episode eight in Arkina five, which is the first of this trilogy we're discussing. Mm. I thought that episode was abysmal. And I say that fully acknowledging that the entire uh, consensus about the episode when it aired was holy shit and or is the best thing on television right now. And by the way, uh, you out there, couldn't be happier for you. But for some reason, it, it wasn't clicking with me. And so I think my enduring criticism of this show, now that we've seen most of it, is that it shouldn't be 12 episodes. It should be eight at the most, maybe seven. Like there is so much extra for me. Yeah, I w for me at this point, we're 10 episodes in and I feel like it could have been eight episodes. Um, and there's still two episodes left. And so maybe I'm confident with 10. I, I don't feel like I, I see why Narkina five was a little slow, but I really loved that episode because while it was slow, I thought it was one of the most creative episodes, um, or explorations star Wars has done ever, or at least in the last 20 years. Yeah. Uh, it's such an interesting, 
prison design. And uh, Tony Gilroy talked about how like him and his team, they went over and they're like, okay, well, we've got um, a prison, but we're not going to do a basic prison. We've got to do something totally different. And someone just showed it at one point, electric floors. And they were Mm. like, well, what does that mean? And so then they dove deep into that. But I just think it was such a cool setting and the the THX throwback uh, kind of in its design, the way it was surrounded by water. Um, I thought that the progression of the of the story, I thought the building blocks were laid much better in this in terms of the way it set up the 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 sequential events. I, I felt like everything really was building upon one another as opposed to just kind of like scattering a few things there and about. Uh, I thought it was really interesting um, character development. Uh, I it thought the was. writing was, was, was on yes. point. I, I overall, yeah, I really, really loved this arc. Uh, I had, uh, I had no, I, I had no drawbacks whatsoever for me. And so it is, it's certainly disappointing that it wasn't as, as enjoyable for you. I, I wonder, you did enjoy the following episodes more. What was it that kind of made it change for you? I, I think it was the pace and the intrigue. So I think that if you were going to make an, a phantom edit of these three episodes, it would be exactly that. I think that all the fat would be trimmed from that first episode. You can still set things up, but you don't need to take 55 minutes to do it. Um, because you're right. I do love like the way it looks. And I certainly like Kino. Is that his name? I think this is like one of the most interesting characters in Star Wars in a long time. Um, so like, don't take too much away from him. And I also understand that you have to like establish him as something else before you turn him into something Mm. different. I realized that there needs to be like a full sweep there. Um, (laughs) we haven't said the name Andor yet. Like consistently, this guy is just a vessel for nothing to me. And I don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't, it's not that I don't know what he believes, I do. I guess I just don't really understand why he has to be what the entire series is is built around. I think that if they decided to make a Star Wars feature called Narkino 5, and it was essentially this exact story, and it didn't have all the other um, episodic baggage, I really would have been psyched about it because it feels different. But at this point, it feels like the series is continually dragging. Remember Nemec? Because it feels like a frigging lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah, no, I do remember Nemec. And I think, I think Nemec, and actually, I think that's great that you brought up Nemec after what you just said about Cassian. And this is something that I would, I have been agreeing with you, but it's something that I'm starting to understand a little bit more as to at least what they're trying to do and what I think they, I, what I do believe they will succeed when we look on the series, even maybe just this season in retrospect, is that Cassian is the perfect rebel. Mm. And this is his story as to how he became the perfect rebel. He's the perfect rebel because Cassian is the guy who dies faceless on the beach, getting the message up to the rebellion to allow them to have that final bit of hope, the plans to the Death Star, him and Jin. But Jin just kind of swoops in at the last minute. Cassian's the one who was built up from the rebellion. He's the one who escapes a prison like run by the Imperials. He's the one who had, who's on the run from the entire ISB. Cassian becomes this rebellion legend without a face though. He's a character who's a vessel for the stories of other characters. He's a vessel for Kino's story. He carries the torch for Kino. He carries the torch for Nemec. Mm-hmm. He is just the torchbearer for all these other members of the rebellion. And he's the one at the end who does the final throw and he just throws the torch into oblivion, just hoping someone else will catch it. And I think that really matters because it goes into the theme of Rogue One around rebellions are built on hope. Yeah. And Cassian is a guy who doesn't have hope, but at the same time, he's looking for his sister when he thinks really, I mean, his sister should be dead and he somehow does a prison rebellion when he's just trying to run away from everything. He's a guy who has no reason to be hopeful, but builds hope from the people around him and then reflects it on tenfold to the galaxy. And so I I, I really think we'll start to see that more and more. And I, I, I'm starting to see that pattern. And so I think that continuously, they're just going to keep building on that with other really important characters, ultimately Luthen being probably the main character, mm-hmm. the Cassian is carrying the torch for further from. I think something that's 
uh, equally important about Cassian because we've discussed a lot his moral compass and how it diverts a lot from the traditional Star Wars hero is that he never, ever becomes radicalized in spite of all the different brands of radicalism that surround him, whether it's in the ISB or the Empire writ large, or frankly, within the rebellion, because of course we know you can swing too far in the other direction, cough, cough, uh, Forrest Whitaker, uh, maybe Luthen. Um, original Star Wars heroes are also maybe sometimes too far in on what's not necessarily the right thing in the right moment. Obviously, Luke Skywalker can be rash sometimes and ultimately is an agent of good, but in the service of the Force and the Jedi, which is kind of this complicated religious undertaking. Han Solo, one of the great heroes of Star Wars, is, as we first meet him, motivated pretty much entirely by greed and survival. And that's really not what Cassian has going on. He is choosing in each moment what is the right or at least the most right thing that I can do. And so in that sense, he's quite heroic. I just find the character bland. <laughs> he's so vanilla. Yeah. that, And I, I, I can't disagree with you there. I do think that there could be maybe a little bit more charm that they gave to him of, or maybe a little bit more dry wit. Uh, he just doesn't say enough. Mm -hmm. uh, when yeah. he does speak, he, he, he's, he, he's uh, like his words matter, but mm -hmm. at the same time, he, he doesn't say enough. Uh, and while, yes, it's important to allow Kino to be the one to have that speech and it's not going to have the same passion and, or necessarily impact coming from someone like Cassian. And while that's the certainly the stereotypical thing to do in a movie or TV show is to have your main character give the rousing speech as opposed to the guy who's only just taken kind of a, a brief snapshot into the story for a couple episode mm -hmm. arc um, that allows Cassian to kind of just... He, he's he's suffering the fate of kind of his fate in the galaxy. It's just he's, he's, he's in the background. But you're right. He, he needs to have a little bit more... Uh, he needs to be a little bit more interesting in in his own right, um, while still allowing kind of his story to um, reflect others. Let's take a moment to celebrate the Archduke of genre franchises who played Gollum and Smeagol in Lord of the Rings and played Claw in Black Panther and Caesar in Planet of the Apes. And he played um, Alfred in The Batman. He played Snoke in Star Wars. And now this other character in Star Wars, which, by the way, has no bells and whistles. It's just a bomb acting performance. Um, like, th th like, this is, to me, the only thing close to an Emmy quality thing that Andor has provided. Besides maybe, like, script writing, which is pleasing to some people. Like, just in, in terms of chops, Andy Serkis is a genius here and in general. We're so lucky to yeah. have him. Yeah, no, he, Kino Loy is is my favorite character to come from the show thus far yeah. Uh, yeah. in terms of new characters. Absolutely. Uh, I think and he has so many moments already, like never more than 12. And just the, the, the smirk of, I can't swim. Yeah. Heartbreaking. Can't swim. Heartbreaking. I can't yeah. swim. And it's like, did he know? Was that... Kind of, was the smile? Uh, well, did we know? Of course, because I, I because I, I wasn't of like. Of course, I forgot about this. Or what was his? What was the smile? Was it a realization of at least you're all free, or at least I'll, at least I'll get a final breath of fresh air? Like you don't know what that smile was for, right? And as that scene ends, they do this like big aerial of the prison itself, which, by the way, is amazingly designed. It's this like deep water cylinder. Um, with a prison within it. And so like, I don't know if I just missed it, but I didn't exactly know that that's what the prison was. And so did they, or, or did he just like kind of put that away in service of like realizing that he has to get these other people out? They should have known Cassian yeah. knew. Yeah. They do establishing shots that Cassian gets to see, like even just like when they're on the edge there, like when they first enter, they know like they get there. Like remember some character says, this is your last breath of fresh air, maybe ever. Mm. Um, and it's a very clear shot. Like they know they're stranded. And Kino is pretty, we, we are establishing by him saying never more than 12. He's keen to his surroundings. Mm -hmm. And so 
it makes it even more tragic that he probably knew the whole damn time. Yeah. He was hoping maybe there was some way, maybe there was a pedway, maybe there was a ship, maybe there was something. But he also knew that I'd rather die taking them down or well, getting everybody else free. Cassian didn't get a, get a chance to like, like hold on to him in the water or anything either. Like he got kind of knocked off because there was all of this frenzy surrounding. And so it would certainly be the astute interpretation that Kino dies. He dies a hero, but he, I mean, one of two things happens. He either jumps off and drowns or he's recaptured, I guess. But that's kind of really sad after what's just happened for him. Like the page that he makes on behalf of the the others, you know, this is the only chance you're going to get. This is the last time you're going to get to run. Do it now. Was incredible and, and all the more heartbreaking when you realize what he probably knew already. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's something. Like, yes, we assume he dies, of course, but it's that Star Wars moment of you don't. You can kind of kind of leave the door open just a little bit. Um, I, I yes, I imagine he died. I don't think he jumped. I think he, I think he stayed back, and I think he was killed probably by yeah. the Empire. I think it was probably pretty brutal. Uh, he was electrocuted of some kind. I imagine. You know, some um, people was, want to think that he could still be Snoke, right? Which I, I of course know is ridiculous, but some people yes, are that asking that question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this certainly doesn't hurt that theory because the empire now has his now as him as a as a prisoner uh and a reason to hate him and want to maybe torture him yeah, but snoke was a different uh, species no, wasn't snoke. he like the body type was entirely different snoke was not a species he yeah. was just made up of random dna and shit that palpatine and then mo mostly palpatine dna uh, maybe some luke skywalker dna because palpatine eventually was the one who found luke's hand mm -hmm. uh, and all that weird stuff but no, Snoke and Kino are not the same character. Kino, though, was great. And it was also like he says climb to, mm. to everybody and to Cassian. The same way Nemec said climb. Mm. And the same way we know K2 will say climb. And so it's interesting. Like, all are these, like, is that going to happen again? And then it's like, are these all the characters that kind of Cassian is like learning his biggest lessons from who are the, the people who are making the biggest sacrifices? to allow Cassian to continue to make, to go on, to make the ultimate sacrifice. Right. And so I wonder, like, he's kind of climbing, like, on their backs, like, like as we climb on the backs of giants, uh, we can accomplish more sort of thing. Like, yeah. he, 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 every time um, someone dies, it's like, climb, you keep going. And these are the people who are sending him to to pass on that message. And by the way, it's not like they were like really close to shore. Like the closing shot of the episode is Cassian and just one other uh, escapee like washing up to the beach. And presumably more than just two people survived in the end. But like mm. it, it was still a bloodbath, like a lot of good guys getting gunned down in that initial panic. Um, yeah, in and, the water. And so, yes, it's a show about sacrifice in general and in, in uh, in service of the greater good. And that, that was true of Rogue One. It's 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 proven to be true here as well. Yeah. We should talk about that other guy, though. Um, the yeah. other guy who was escaping with Cassian. That was Ruth Scott Melshi. And so he is in uh, Rogue One as well. He is the character that first bursts in the door to uh, rescue Jin from the Empire when she's imprisoned at the start of the film. Uh, he's also, uh, he leads a squad on Scarif. So they break up, uh, Cassian, Lee, Cassian Jin and K2 go off on one. And then Melshi basically leads all the ground troopers. Uh, Melshi's the one who's told to light up Scarif. Yeah. Uh, so clearly he's had a long running relationship with Cassian. That was actually referenced in the visual dictionary that they go way back sort of, uh, and that he'll follow Cassian into anything. Uh, and so I think that's kind of a funny thing that this is, I guess the origin story for that even though tony gilroy certainly didn't give a shit there but it was just clearly an opportunity where uh he liked working with duncan pow the actor apparently he said he was a good hang on set and so he wanted any opportunity to to be able to bring that character back and so i think that's really cool because it shows that tony gilroy is kind of creating his own like he's building from his rogue one world and he he truly does love rogue one um and so he's he's continuing to want to make a universe out of his sub Star Wars universe, sort of. Right, but there's also a narrative mechanism in revealing that character in part one of this 
three arc uh, storyline because obviously Cassian has prequel insurance. We know that he's not going to die and also he's going to have to escape from this prison. We have no idea what's going to happen to anyone else here. Maybe they'll all die. Wait, definitely not all of them because that's a guy mm. I recognize. And so suddenly you start to wonder like, well, exactly what's going to happen? Because I've never heard of Narkina 5 before. I don't know anything about this intense like work prison that obviously does a lot for the Empire. And so like maybe it's because the thing implodes and and by the way it, it probably does like they say in this most recent episode uh if we shut things down now it takes months to get things started up again so like probably this is the end of this prison probably they decide oh. like this isn't coming back i don't think so no? i think they would i think they would get that thing back up and running as soon as possible it just looks like it's a big kind of like hydro generator that yeah. would like take a long time to to reset or something um but if they wiped out an entire floor and were quick to repopulate it, I think they're they're going to want to repopulate this prison pretty quick and just staff up with a little bit more security. Uh, I, th I think Narkina Five is new to to Star Wars, it, but it's not new to have uh, Imperial prison camps where they'd be segregated mm. uh, in this exact way, where they would segregate people, um, and humans had the best prisons, and uh, the species, uh, the alien races that the the Empire hated the most had the worst prisons, like the Spice Mines of Kessel, for example, yeah. where Wookies and whatnot had to go. Uh, and so it was kind of interesting to see it being like a white collar sort of prison from an Imperial perspective. And overall, like not an atrocious prison from uh, certainly from a relative perspective of what the empire can well, do. Well, it's clean uh, if that's what you mean, but yeah. like, no, it's, it's also pretty diabolical. Oh no, it's, it's purely evil. But when you like, we we've seen other Imperial uh, facilities uh, <laughs> and cells and whatnot. And this is, it is a little bit better. Um, it's also interesting. They're probably building something for the Death Star. Yes. Uh, I don't know what it is, but that was also something that was established that these prisons were all building components that could never be identified um, as to what they were mm -hmm. uh, because they were so segregated themselves. And so all the projects had um, different, like the people who like even worked at that at Narkina 5 they probably uh, were told what those parts were for a project that was a fake project. Yeah, and so there were diff there was tons of uh, sections of the empire who thought certain projects existed that were fronts for different subcomponents of the Death Star. Has anybody made the Squid Game comparison to Narkina Five? Because it feels similar to me. Uh, no, not that I've heard of. I'm sure they have, but I also didn't see Squid Game, and so my eyes weren't really peeled for that too much. Right. Let's step outside the prison uh, and and catch up with with Mon Mothma, who hmm. like they're further developing the Tay dynamic, like to the extent that even her teenage daughter is like, "Oh, come on, you're you're sleeping with Tay. Like, I, <laughs> you're not you're not fooling anybody." And so, like, that's fine. Of course, the big revelation with that character is that she is Vel's cousin. Mm. which is a great twist. Um, and by the way, just the timing on my part, that was revealed just like three minutes after I had a sudden hunch that maybe Vel was Luthen's daughter. And pretty quickly that that was like kind of dissolved because mm. they've already found a way to tie her in to like bigger, more powerful people. I also think that would have been cool, by the way, but I was even more caught off guard when when it was Mon of all people. Yeah, a lot of people, and I, I would be one of them. I, I agree with you. I thought Luthen and Bell were related in some in some mm -hmm. way, uh, and so the Mon Mothma side of it was was a great kind of twist. It was, uh, but it was funny because it was good to see them having a good rapport. Mon Mothma having somebody kind of within the rebellion who who likes her, who's nice to her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's kind of, that's kind of nice. Uh, somebody who she can make fun of parent to, and they can, who, or better yet can make fun of parent uh, so that she can quietly smile to the side because she's funny. Well, and we knew uh, as of a few weeks ago that like sometimes Vel has to put on a dress and do her hair. And so we mm -hmm. could have maybe connected the dots that she does. In fact, we did know from that, that she leads a double life sort of, but we didn't know exactly to what extent. Extent. But they did actually lay some breadcrumbs for that. That's true, because prior to this also, uh, they showed that 
Vel, well, Vel was sent out by Clea and Luthen to, to go and, and find Cassian. And so she goes to Ferex to look for him and to look for clues. Uh, and Cinta is also sent there. And so mm-hmm. they meet up uh, and they're taking very different approaches. Cinta is very like, let's, let's separate. Let, that's, that's we're, if we're together, it's going to be too obvious. And Vel is thinking, oh, great. It would have been nice to, you know, do this mission together so that I could also see you. And Cinta is thinking like, yeah, but like everything the mission of course comes first and this remotely slightly compromises it so fuck off the person i'm supposedly supposed to be in a relationship yeah. with and so it really it it shows that and, and vel passes that exact message on to mon mothma uh around uh the the rebellion comes first sort of thing uh but it goes to show that i mean even cinta she throws the little dagger at vel and says i'll just pretend i'm a, I'm a spoiled rich girl mm. that'll be my that'll be my front and clearly sh- saying well that's all you are vel uh and then mon mothman in the end tells her go be a spoiled rich girl so that it makes it look like you're not in, doing right. anything suspicious <laughs> it seems to me like cinta probably will have a big role to play in the in the final two episodes just because otherwise she lifts mm. out of the show she she's kind of been teased as this little swiss army knife and we're not sure yet how that's going to pan out. She hasn't been useless. I don't mean to say that. I just mean like that's a character yet to reach their potential, at least in terms of storytelling, I think. Yeah, I think she will go extreme and Vel will not. Mm. I think she will go and follow Luthen to do something crazy or become a like a saw partisan uh, or Vel will... Um, further side with Mon Mothma and less with Luthen because Luthen starts to go a little haywire or something along those lines. Yeah, I want to talk about Luthen in a second, but first, what did you think of the Saw Gerrera cameo? And maybe that's all we're going to see from him. It might be all we see from yeah. him, actually. I, be- I bet you it is. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was great. Yeah, it's it fine. was kind of a nice little tie-in. It made a lot of sense. It showed uh, the kind of progression in, in Saw's downward spiral uh, and also in the downward spiral of health as well. Uh, it shows um, Luthen. I-, I did enjoy their kind of back and forth around um, talking about Aldani mm. uh, and saying, well, I'm, I, you, you clearly did it. And um, it was very impressive. Uh, and then they just <laughs> kind of both agreed to uh, both agree that the other person must have done it. Right. Uh, and, th- and that whoever did it was a genius. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that was a really funny exchange. Uh, and it, overall, I just go to show that they have a long history and that that was the I, I think the the bur- the first big red flag that um, Luthen is more like Saw than Mon Mothma, um, and like a lot closer to a Saw than a Mon Mothma. He's somebody who is well, clearly more in favor of maybe not chaos, but um, like he says later on, using the weapons of my enemies against them. The speech that the monologue that he delivers on that pedway at the end of episode ten. Um, mm. definitely is quite radicalized, although very compelling. And yes. hats off to Stellan Skarsgård for, for delivering it. It was really good. Oh, it was incredible. The The way that that was shot, though, uh, it was so scenic. And, and the introduction of Lonnie, somebody who'd been in just kind of the background this entire time, being Luthen's agent. And clearly they go way back. Mm. Uh, and then him questioning Luthen uh, around what Luthen has to sacrifice. He wants then, out. He's got cold feet. Yeah, because he's got a family now. And and, and Luthen basically was just like, no, I'm, I'm going to sacrifice 50 other guys. Mm-hmm. And I even tried to get Saw to go with them. And I would have sac- I'm like basically like probably would have sacrificed him too. Those 50 guys uh, are 50 pawns. Yeah. You, you're a queen. <laughs> I'm, I'm sacrificing the pawns. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm protecting. I think about you all the time, uh, if that's any <laughs> consolation. Yeah. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about like, I've, I've sacrificed my, my, like my decency and, uh, my morality and, uh, my family, like all, like, it's a phenomenal, phenomenal speech. Um, and then of course the, the fantastic everything at the end. Mm. Uh, and he also is dressed in such a cool star Wars smock, um, it was it, it was a really good Star Wars scene. I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. it. It felt very 
it felt like right out of Rogue One in mm-hmm. that regard, like a, like a modern uh, Star Wars sort of speech. Seems like we're probably not going to get Bail Organa in this show. That's okay. We already had a dose of him oh, this year. You think? Maybe maybe next year. Um, and we're gonna maybe get, season two. Yeah, we're gonna get Krennic at some point, but maybe that's a season two thing as well, or maybe that's a little surprise they have in their back pocket for the season finale. I think Krennic is going to be maybe only an arc yeah um maybe maybe more than an arc but i don't expect him to be a huge character based on the way that the character has been popping in and out i'm very much believing he will be an arc in season two yeah uh, maybe two arcs but that the most dedra oh. and that crew are the the imperials of focus let's talk about dedra and cyril who have a, okay. a really good episode together and their dynamic yes, is so do. interesting Dedra's a really cool character, honestly. Like she's a very interesting, I really like Dedra. interesting person who is, and both and Cyril too. Like both of them, bad people. <laughs> They're bad people, but yet I'm like, I don't know. I kind of feel for you. Like I, I see what you're trying to do, and I have to respect it. Both of them in different ways. Um, mm. and and so D- Dedra is a fucking psycho. Yeah, for she working is with Gorst. Yes. Oh yeah. No, she. But she just wants to prove herself so much. Mm. Um, and when she has, she like flexes her power over Cyril when he comes to her and he's like, thank you for the promotion. And she's like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Get away from me. <laughs> Except she probably <laughs> did get him that promotion. Right. And she so did, like, yeah. and so like that whole dynamic well, she cleaned was, his record. And so that got him, a which he needed, like that gets him back in good graces with his mom. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and uncle Harlow. Right. That's right. And so I thought the dynamic between the two of them was pretty juicy. Yeah, it was great. Uh, Tony Gilroy talked about um, Cyril in an interesting way that made it sound like his arc will continue to maybe get more sympathetic than it will continue to go down the the fascist route. That's what I, I mean, see. He's clear. Yeah. He's yeah. He's he's clearly obsessed with order, and that's the way Tony Gilroy described it. Uh, and he likes rules a lot, but he's somebody who's just been beaten down by everyone around him and. The only time, I mean, Dedra basically said thanks to him once and he was just like, I, I'm stalking you now because you <laughs> yeah. said thank you. Totally stalking I, I, it, it, it was an interrogation yeah. that I gave you the information on and he was just like, okay, thanks. And we'll leave now. <laughs> but it was the best interaction I've ever had as yeah. a human being. Right. <laughs> and it's like, that's that's pretty pathetic. He is, he is one of the most pathetic characters Star Wars has ever produced. But he's really interesting to watch. But of course you're supposed to feel for him. There is no reason to put his domineering mother in the show if not. There there mm. like you can you can even humanize uh Imperial bad guys um by giving them wives and children. Giving them mean moms who they live with and eat cereal with, like that's that is a ballsy and brand new uh slant in star wars and so honestly i'm like kind of impressed that they thought to do it because like again like you don't need the mom except to for us to feel bad (laughs) that he has the mom yeah and that that is a totally new kind of character to introduce to star wars the mother who's just this hateful uh i guess popularity uh chasing old lady of Coruscant. You're so right too. Mothers are always angels in Star Wars. Like specifically, like fathers, fa- fathers know, but mothers are always like impossibly good people or that, yeah, or they literally become angels and they die um, until we come upon this one. And, and I guess that's because it's a show about black and white and everything in between. But like it, that's what, that may be why it feels really stark. She's the opposite of Shmi Skywalker. Oh, she is hardcore. The yeah, just me, Skywalker. That is a good Star Wars mom. Yeah. What are the other things that happen in the arc? Um, there was the torture scene of Bix that with the engorged right. with the use of alien um, cry. Uh, the, the, basically, the cries of alien children being murdered. Oh, uh, yeah. That it their cries make people go insane, mm. and so that's the torture device used by the Empire. That is messed up and also it was shot extremely well uh-huh. uh, that entire scene with the and also bix's acting uh, or uh, i forget what her name is the actress but um i yeah i thought that was kind of cool uh, and also to show some seriously psycho imperial sides that dr gorst and also like dr gorst 
is a bit of a legend. Like Partigas even talked about him. He was like, oh, Dr. Gorse was in on this. <laughs> See, I'm talking yeah. about these people with you and I'm more giddy about it now than I am through most of my actually watching it, which means that there's still a seed of intrigue in here for me, mm. that it just needs to be presented in a different way for me. I'm not demanding anything. And, you know, some stuff just doesn't click with certain people. That's okay. Um, but I'm disappointed because I always aim to really like Star Wars stuff. Um mm. Obviously, I care about like all the characters we're discussing. Like I'm, uh, so I'm not exactly sure why presentationally it hasn't it hasn't always worked out for me. That it doesn't it doesn't um, please me that I'm eager for it to finally be over. But I kind of am. No, yeah, that's that's not a good thing. No, um, but yeah, that's definitely the furthest from what I've felt the last few episodes. So thoroughly enjoyable, and, and and I'm happy it took that kind of twist for me. Maybe it's something that you'll enjoy more after you after it's done that's true and you'll I, just be like oh, i actually thought well, of that today watch that arc again i thought of that today better light. when i was re when i was watching the like the the climax of the prison break i was like well maybe i would appreciate this more in the rewatch uh because i know what it's building towards and i understand the language the vernacular of it a little bit better mm. yeah i mean that was kind of like when we first started the podcast it was it's re-watching something with a, the closest eye that you can after you've watched it so many times that um, you're not digesting it for its its content, you're you're reanalyzing it, um, and that's something that we don't get to do when TV is just on um, every week because we don't have the time to rewatch. Like, I, although I shouldn't say we don't have the time, I I did find the time for a little while yeah. uh, with Mando episodes to watch them uh, like three times before we do our podcast. Well, it's just that's uh, so an that example of ingrained. something you really love, but I think you are right. Mm -hmm. I think that is the big difference between movie and TV, and it's starting to be a long time since we had a Star Wars movie, and it's going to be an even longer time. So. Um, I, I, maybe that's my issue. And I, I mentioned before that we could do a phantom edit of this prison arc. I, I guess I'm craving a Star Wars movie because we mentioned that yeah. too with Obi-Wan again and again. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good transition. Anything else you want to say about this, about this arc before we get to the news? Uh, yeah, actually, before we get to the news, I guess the only other thing would be, uh, kind of forgot there was, uh, Davo, Skeldon or something very close to that. I can't remember what Good it name. is, uh, but he, yeah, it's a very Star Wars it name, is. whatever it is, and it's very close to that. Uh, but he's kind of a hoity-toity gangster uh, or alternative banker from Chandrilla, and so he's he's kind of an interesting character because he comes in, and uh, of course he's shady, uh, but you don't quite know what he wants, and it looks like oh he's just going to want a favor. Um, but by the sounds of it, no, no, no. He he wants to specifically come back, not to ask for a favor. He just wants to come back to Mon Mothma and bring his son along oh, in case, yeah. you know, maybe he can wet <laughs> off a 16-year-old to a 15-year-old or a 15-year-old to a 14-year-old, mm. wherever they are, based off of old Chandrillan customs. Yeah. And then basically connect his mob family to the Mothma political family Mon by marrying off their children. She's so Mothma's offended so by this. And rightfully so. No, she's like, what makes you think that I'm in favor of that sort of tradition? She was like, you can leave right now. I forgot about that, actually, yeah. but that was interesting. That was good. And also his response of, oh, that's a shame. That's the first time you've lied to me today or something, mm. uh, which is interesting. But at the same time, I don't believe Mon Mothma's thinking about it. I think she's just going back into her head around what Val said um, and making her at least question what are going to be the things that I'm going to have to potentially choose the rebellion over? Will at one point family yeah. be one of them? Well, this is not going to be the case, but it may come a time. Right, because we, we just kind of breezed over the Tay of it all. Um, what, what do you feel about him? Like, obviously, there's still something there, but I figured Tay's got to die and she's just going to leave Perrin because there's nothing there. And that's why she's going to be so singularly focused on the rebellion. Probably. Um, it's the it's Lita, her daughter, that I'm more interested in. Yeah, in true. Of, like, she's, she's not going to abandon her daughter. That's the weird one. And so will her daughter become, like so clearly a fascist that she has to leave her or will it be that her daughter dies or that her daughter tags along and is in the background 
uh, well, Perrin could sell Mon Mothma out. Consider um, for a second. She's sleeping with Tay. Consider for a second that if Lita was still around, she's roughly the same age as Princess Leia, and they would have been friends through through their young lives. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Uh, there's good logic to say that. And well, I mean, it wouldn't be unreasonable, but it would be weird. It's pretty that that does point to the direction of she's either well, I mean, but you also have a show where Luthen is clearly a great example of a character who is almost like a lie by omission. Yeah. Like how has this character never been mentioned in Star Wars canon up until this point? You just have to assume, oh, it just somehow this, the conversations never worked around. It's that a big person picture. Came up. Yeah. Yeah. This the same way that Holdo is kind of one of those characters. Mm. She's like, oh, this is Leia's old friend who just we never heard of. It, it isn't unreasonable. We only get a few snapshots of these characters' lives. And so I think Lita could be one of those people, but I think you're probably right. I think she's going back. What a great twist it would be, though, if you, if like Mon Mothma's daughter was called Holdo. I mean, I realize that's not, but like, what if they had decided to connect that dot somehow in Andor of all shows? That would have been a ridiculous one. I and mean, Holdo does have a backstory. So that yeah, that's been, right. That would have been a mistake. That's true. Uh, but. It would have been cool to have something like that tie in with the sequel trilogy yeah. and a show like Andor. Yeah. Because uh, it's the last place you'd, you'd expect to see it. But it is all Disney era. So so we have two more episodes of Andor. Uh, there'll be some kind of like singular arc, probably like a two part uh, season finale. Mm-hmm. Finale. So we'll approach that with some enthusiasm and optimism. Uh, we haven't talked for a while. So what's going on in Star Wars news? There's actually quite a few things going on in the news. Um, I am losing my voice, though, here. Uh the big things are the cast for the Acolyte was announced. Right. Uh, so we had known about Amanda Stenberg being really the only one who was officially announced. Uh, and then there was a few other rumors like Lee Jung-jae. Um, From Squid the, Game. The rest of the, yes, Squid Game. Uh, but the rest of the main cast, cast include Daphne Keene, Manny Jacinto, Carrie Ann Moss, Jodie Turner-Smith, Dean Charles Chapman, uh, Charlie Bennett, uh, and Rebecca Henderson. Yeah, good bunch. And so... Yeah, it's good looking. Like a, bunch. The inter- yeah, the internet is thrilled with this cast. Uh, I think uh, from what we can gather, um, or at least what the the belief is out there, um, or oh, sorry, <laughs> let's start off. The main plot of the show does state now that there is uh, a Jedi Padawan, a former Jedi Padawan, who reunites with their old master to go on a hunt for mysterious happenings that are going on that we clearly know have dark side forces behind them because it's the accolade now this former padawan i'm not sure whether that means that they're now a jedi knight and they were the former padawan of this person or if they're no longer in the jedi order at all and they're like a detective now or something Could or, or they, they failed out of the jedi order or became disenchanted of some kind uh but the rumors were that Daphne Keene was going to be the acolyte. And the rumors this entire time were that Amanda Stenberg was the titular main character. Mm. So assumingly the acolyte, um, which makes me think that Daphne Keene is actually probably going to be the Padawan and that that was just lost in the grapevine of acolyte and Padawan maybe being kind of synonyms and somebody who maybe didn't really understand Star Wars thought, okay, Daphne Keene is... Uh, the acolyte and pass it along and that Daphne Keene's probably the Padawan or maybe this entire time it's been wrong and the Jedis are maybe more the focus than we were led to believe and that it's Amanda Stenberg. Hmm. But Amanda Stenberg, there's one photo from set we saw looked, it's very Sithy. Uh, it looked like a um, kind of like a Sith temple and it was Lee Jung-jae and Amanda Stenberg. And so that would maybe make it lead more likely that she's the acolyte and he's the master uh, and that's the kind of the main relationship we'll pursue and Daphne Keene and maybe Carrie Ann Moss are the Jedi or something like that. Um, and so that would be kind of the logical assumptions as to who these people are playing. Uh, there's rumored that there's going to be an alien main character. And I think Manny Jacinto was some comedic relief. Uh, he played a really, apparently a very stupid person on the good place. Yeah. He's like um, part of the main, have you not watched the good place? Yeah. He's one of the main characters. No. He's, he's very funny. Yeah, so like maybe he'll play uh, one of the alien main characters, um, but uh, and I don't really know too much about Dean Charles Chapman or uh, I, Charlie Barnett. I think along with Rebecca Henderson, I think they're both from Russian Doll. Rebecca Henderson is Leslie Headland's wife, so that ah. makes sense that uh, she'd be cast. Um, 
but overall i'm just super excited about this series yeah i, I think that they're starting production and so this is one that i cannot wait uh, i forget whether it's 50 or 100 years before the phantom menace i think it might be 100 oh, now uh, you're talking now now we're so now we're excited. playing friggin ball we don't have any like links to other characters that i gotta feel like this doesn't have to tie into like the friggin missile going into the death star like it's mm. a new thing and we've never predated phantom menace so this is incredibly exciting well that's another thing that occurred we didn't do uh because you haven't watched tales of the jedi yet have no, you No, that's right yeah i have not no but that's something whereas we had our first live or not live action but first um visual depiction of uh or on-screen uh story before the phantom menace right. and that would be a young dooku uh and mace and a young uh dooku and young qui-gon story uh and so those two stories would occur and one occurs uh, at the same time as the phantom menace as well and so that's kind of cool uh but overall I, I can't wait to chat with you about those after you see them mm. uh, it, it only takes about an hour to watch all six of them so we, we should do a, a podcast about that at some point sure. uh, but yeah it'll be really really great to see something that the, the only characters that could come into play are like Yaddle or Yoda or like Yarl Poof, um, like, like just a couple Jedi Council members who could maybe make a background appearance at some point, or like maybe like Tenebris, who mm. was like Plagueis's master. Like you can, or or maybe Darth Plagueis will make an introduction to this. Like it's about time. That's just touching like the edges of like the oldest people in the galaxy. That's great. Yeah. Like that gives you very little to cling on to. And the planets, even while you'll revisit them, it's at a brand new time period. And it's not going to be an imperial time period where we spend most of our time. And it's not even going to be when the Republic is remotely similar. It's this kind of high Republic, more grand era. And so that'll be even more interesting to see because even if we go to familiar locations, they'll seem brand new. That's right. Yeah. 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 yeah totally. I can't wait for it. Right. Um, beyond that, uh, there's also uh, a little bit of news in who's behind the camera. Uh, and that comes J.D. Dillard, who uh, it was revealed what his Star Wars project was going to be about because he's no longer doing one. Uh, and his was likely going to have inspiration from the TIE Fighter video game. And honestly, oh, right. the way that he talked about it it seems like it was just another example of when Star Wars was giving everyone a project. Mm. Um, he, he doesn't, it, it sounds like he's done, he doesn't seem super heartbroken about it. And I think honestly, anything that would have been inspired by TIE Fighter is a terrible idea yeah, for yeah. a Star Wars project at this That's point, especially too lean of an inspiration. That yeah. is, yeah, it's, it, absolutely. It's, uh, you're, you're riding on the bones of a skeleton there. It just doesn't seem to, to work. Um, so I'm not super upset about that, but maybe on a future project down the line, if the relationship works and, and he finds better inspiration or something, um, then that'd be great. Um, but Sean Levy Sean is Levy, yeah. now uh, brought in. And so he's going to be brought in as a director uh, on an unknown Star Wars project. Some people are thinking that it will be the Michael Waldron, Kevin Feige project, and he will be directing the Waldron script uh, produced by Feige. And now there is also a rumor out there that Ryan Reynolds is in talks to be in a Star Wars project potentially. Well, and, and, and that would be obviously linked with Sean Levy. Sean Levy, who's directing Deadpool three, and and just side note, he's also like one of the and the Adam project, and I think maybe Red Notice even. Like he's done yes. like at least three he, Ryan Reynolds. And also, most notably, kind of his renaissance is like being one of the principal directors and producers of Stranger Things. Like he is like a genre guy, um, and uh, and he's very good. But I don't know if I want mm. Ryan Reynolds in Star Wars. I think I hate that. Actually, I kind of do too. Yeah, I kind of do too. I uh, I'm okay with it as long as he's not Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, he has to act. Right, he can't just be himself. Uh, and but he's he could be he can act. He just hasn't in years. I like he Ryan gets Reynolds. Away with just being Ryan Reynolds. I like oh, him I like fine. Ryan Reynolds too. I I just don't know if this sounds uh, right to me. I just don't know if it's the right fit. But I don't know. We'll see. He's also like one of the biggest movie stars in the world. He would be the biggest star to ever be in Star Wars as their first appearance in Star Wars. I don't think there's ever. That's like, a very interesting question. I don't think anyone 
more famous has entered Star Wars? Oh, no. I mean, like Samuel L. Jackson, maybe. He, I, he Maybe, but I don't even think he would have been that famous enough then because it was 99. He was famous as hell. Yeah. But Samuel L. Jackson has made a ton of movies in the last 20 years. Well, he was just in good movies is the thing. Like, Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he was super famous. But and he's he wasn't one of the biggest ones. That is a fantastic question. No, yeah. Like Ryan Reynolds has $150 million. He would be like, there's no right, but A-listers. At what, but at what point like is this. then it just uh, stunt casting? Are we just trying to like anchor somebody to save a franchise? And like, I know that's oh, kind of cynical. And like, it doesn't I, work with Star Wars. No, I like movie stars, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm okay. I like Mission Impossible, but like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't. And, and maybe my issue is not with Ryan Reynolds, it's just with people that famous in Star Wars, but. No, actually, mm. I think it's. I think two things can be true. Definitely, he'd be the most famous person to enter Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it would have to be something where he didn't look like Ryan Reynolds, and he was. I think probably he would need to be a pretty serious character. I I think he can't go with comedic relief for Ryan Reynolds Agreed. in Star Wars. I just I don't think it would work in this way. I think you maybe want to make him more of like a som like. Maybe give him a Qui-Gon general kind mm. of thing and see if he can maybe spread his wings a little bit more. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like something I would I would want at first glance, but I'm not going to shoot it down. Sean Levy does seem like a good fit, though. I'm in favor of that. I'm maybe not as excited as I was about like the Damon Lindelof news. But uh, and I mean, Sean Levy might not be doing the Kevin Feige project, but right. it just seems like a good fit. And if they... If not, then it means that there's another movie on the docket with none actually scheduled as opposed to lining things up to make one actually a project to come to fruition for a change. Mm. That would be nice. Um, But yeah, I'm excited for that. Cool. Is that all you got? Um, I think so. Yeah. The Mandalorian's coming in soon. I think season four is starting to film um, pretty soon as well. Uh, Yeah. It's uh, just coming to the end of Andor and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of news um, at the start of the year. Cause I mean, I think Mando season three starts in February, so it's uh, not going to be a very long break uh, on live action Star Wars, which is always nice. All right. Well, we want to hear your thoughts on specifically the prison arc of of Andor, but also any other thoughts you have or predictions for the final two episodes. You can email recorder66podcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at recorder66, although I don't check the tweets very often and even less so due to what's going on. Uh, Please rate and review on your preferred podcast app or uh, if you're following us on, on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And until we are together again, may the force be with you. Thank you.